Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Improv Chronicle podcast. I'm Lloydie. 2020 has been a year most of us would care to forget. But in the midst of a global pandemic, there have been some wise voices telling us things worth hearing and worth acting on. This year, rather than travelling to interview guests, most of what I've done has been done online. But I've been grateful for the technology to do that, as well as for the generosity guests have shown as ever in giving their time and their thoughts. As we close the year out, here are some of the bits we didn't get a chance to include in this year's podcasts partly because they were slightly at tangents to the subject we were covering, plus also some extended bits of interviews that you heard, and even a couple of nuggets that I thought were worth repeating. So before we greet 2021 with open arms and fervent hope, let's pack a bag of wise words to take with us. Mmm, metaphors. Susan Messing is one person I know will always give me a straight answer. And back in January, when we spoke about whether to give an improv team notes straight after a show or not, she didn't disappoint. I have a very strong opinion about that. I don't think you should be giving a hell of a lot of notes after a show because I think people are coming off the stage with the with the adrenaline of having just had a performance. And when somebody sits down and gives, I've seen this happen so many times backstage before I'm going on stage, I see a bunch of people you know, sitting there listening to their coach who has all this information that he wants to impart or she wants to impart on somebody right at that moment. And these people, I don't know if they're able to absorb it. I think that why don't you wait until the next rehearsal and, you know, go over what that is. I, I don't I don't see the reason of vomiting a bunch of feedback right away. It's it, it can be overwhelming and it might make people defensive at that moment, in which case they're not going to hear anything about it. I feel like that's the point for you to go have a drink with your friends, go get laid, go home and be proud of yourself for getting on stage and then revisit it with a fresh mind so that you have at least an opportunity to absorb what you've done before somebody just shoots a bunch of crap at your face. It's a lot. No one wants a load of crap shot at their face. Not after this year. So to Susan's duo partner, Rachel Mason. I spoke to Rachel as part of one of my favourite episodes this year. I liked the contributors so much that I made a two-parter, and even then, I couldn't include as much material as I wanted to. 
This was a two-parter on duos, two profs, and I spoke to Rachel about how duos get together and how they work so well. So let me start by saying it this way. I think the best ensembles put themselves together. And largely ensembles don't get that choice. They're put together via auditions that somebody else is running or they're just your class. So ensembles that put themselves together tend to like they have the same sense of humor or the same reference level or the same love of a style. So when we're pair away like 12 people down to two, we have like we have that on a on a micro level like it's very in tune and you get to see like a comfortability where people like Susan and I can finish each other's sentences and I like when she does something I like I almost know where she's gonna go the hard part about a two-person as opposed to like group improv like in group improv while you and your friend are playing pilots the rest of your buddies can make the plane And that is incredible. And when it's just me and Susan, like we have to bring the plane with us. I don't know if that makes any sense. Like some people were like, oh, my 12 person team only has, uh, my 12 person team has 15 minutes. We're so nervous. And I'm like, why? It was well, so, I'm like me and Susan do two, two prom for 45 minutes to an hour. Like I couldn't imagine being on a 13 person team and only having 15 minutes. That's crazy to me. So I guess that's another benefit. Like there's breath in a two-prov and the audience can feel more voyeuristic in a two-prov, like really like a fly on a wall. One of the duos or two-provs that I'd love to have been a fly on the wall of when they got together is TJ and Dave. They're a world-renowned partnership. And when I spoke to David Pasquese about how they set out to create their show originally, it turns out the show evolved from doing rather than seeing. Well, we didn't set out to do that or anything. We didn't set out to do anything. Um, and we just we just found out. And, and I'd not seen... I know pe- people have been doing two-person improvisation for a long time. I had not seen anyone really doing it. So... Um, I didn't gather a lot of this from viewing just from the experience of doing it. And we're just doing what works for us. Um, And we decided to play other people as they were needed, not as a task that we had to have other people. Sometimes we don't, Um, or sometimes there's very few. It just seems to be as needed. and. Um, and some, you know, I don't know. I, there's nothing that determines why we're playing others except for seemingly, uh, a need or that, oh, there would be a person there. If we have been in this space for this long, someone else would be here. Um, so it's just to be, again, it's responding honestly to, uh, given everything that we've established up until this point. I didn't see as many improv shows as I usually do this year. Funny that. But one I did get to see, not once, but twice, was Cornfield and Andrews at the Magnet Theatre in New York. They're one of my favourite pairings to watch for so many reasons. A couple of years. Okay. Cool. Four or five years. <laughs> More than a couple. Maybe six years. <laughs> okay. Might be about six years. That's a while. It's a dry spell. It's a dry spell. <laughs> it's a drought. <laughs> 
Uh, your libido is a desert now. <laughs> been deprived of water for quite a while. Yeah, it's a moistureless libido. Yeah. <laughs> the days are hot and the nights are very, very cold. Very cold. <laughs> Few plants and animals can survive. Yeah. And, and the ones Co that can. The, yeah, they're special. Real serious. Yeah. Real serious. A couple survivors. snakes, some yeah. cacti. <laughs> Those little frogs that bury themselves. In March of this year, just as the pandemic hit the US, their show was featured in an article in the New York Times and their process and the moves they made in their show was analysed. One question I asked, which I didn't fully get to explore in the podcast episode that I edited, was how conscious their onstage choices are. Oh, um, n none, I think, or very, very little. I think, I think uh, in that article, and, and I think when we talk about what we do... Or we talk about shows afterwards, or you know, when the when the guy interviewed us, I think, I think it was interesting because it was it was trying to put some uh, logic and explanation towards the things that you're doing in the show that are a little more instinctual, right? Because I think it's really hard to inhabit the character fully and also be kind of cerebrally trying to plot or plan or think about how you want it to come across. You pretty much just have to be those people because I think the stuff that makes it feel lived in and real is is your level of kind of commitment and listening and focus so i think we think about how we want to approach characters and tr treat them in the show but but when we're doing it I'm, I'm just trying to be there and react to the last thing that just happened um and i think those more cerebral things are more yeah how are we approaching the show in general or or how are we um conceptualizing what we do if, if someone has to ask us about it, but it's, it's not necessarily something that I don't want to speak for Lewis, but in, in the moment I'm not, you know, if, in that article, I thought he did a really great, great job of kind of asking us to peel open the surface and be like, well, why did you say this? Or why did you do that? And then I watching a video, I can kind of reverse engineer and remember, Oh, well he said this. And I, I guess that made me feel blank or that reminded me of X. Um, but I'm not analyzing those thoughts in the moment. Uh, Cause I think analyzation almost inherently includes some kind of judgment uh, with it. So you're just kind of accepting and letting that stuff pass. It's, it's a little more, um, yeah, I think just being there. Lewis, does that, does that sound accurate? Yeah, yeah, that sounds right to me. I, I, in, in a show with a larger cast where you're not in every scene, you, I find myself kind of objectifying the show a little bit. When I'm not in a scene, I'm watching and I'm thinking a lot about these characters and I'm, I'm kind of thinking a little bit more with the director's mind and a little bit more with the writer's mind and, and kind of um, mapping possible places to take ideas that are probably going to be rich in content. And in the, in the two person show, you just can't, you never have a, you never have a space to be able to take a bird's eye view of it. You're just always in it. So um, like for me, I, I try to spend as much of the show as possible. The, the more I, I just try to believe what's really happening and try to try to treat the show as if it was me, if I happen to be living this person's life, the easier it is to just kind of stay in the show and, and not um, stress out too much. So for me, the show for the first like 30 minutes, it's a lot of very active paying attention to little details and looking for like the right small details that will help me feel most like I'm really there. Um, and for every show, like those details are different things. I remember one show it was, we were in a bar and the detail was just, there was a, um, Oh, what should I call it? Like one of those like photo, what do you call those photo machines? Like a photo booth? A photo booth. There was like a little photo booth in the corner and just kind of knowing that that was in the corner for whatever reason kind of put me in a good 
place and it made it feel very easy to be in the show. So I'm constantly looking for stuff like that, but not really trying to like analyze what the right choice is or what the right next thing to say is. Um, though, I mean, Rick, I don't want to be stepping on your toes with this. I do think that we've talked a lot when shows don't go great. Yes. Kind of pick, we picked apart choices that we made that maybe led it to not go great. And I will sometimes, if we come up against like a fork in the road in a show, um, I will rely on certain certain discoveries we've made together over time to guide me to what is probably yeah. the best choice. And I think a lot of the times too, and Lodi, just stop me if this is more detail than you wanted with that simple question. Uh, it's fine. It's fine. Okay. Um, but I think a lot of times too, some a lot of those lessons for me at least end up coming back to don't get ahead. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. like I think about um, uh, shows where in the middle of a show, I think there's two kinds of quote, quote unquote kind of mid show realizations. There's there's things personal to the character. Like I like Lewis might say something, or I might do something that might make me discover something that's true about my character in my mind, but that I didn't know before, but that has been true for this character the whole time. And I might not say it right away. It might just be something, might be something inconsequential. It might be something like a big deal. Like um, I have a crush on this person or whatever. And I, I think that kind of realization is really easy to carry and hold. Then there's a version of it that's kind of like, oh, this should happen later, or I want X to happen. And that kind of thing is bad. <laughs> or it's not necessarily if it's going to happen naturally, you could you should just let it happen naturally. Because I think when I get ahead of myself, um, that's when I end up making a choice that that in hindsight after the show feels kind of limp or it, it, it kind of came off the bat wrong, or it just felt like oh I I had this vision of what it would be and it wasn't that. So from duos to ensemble work, one of the so-called must-learn or must-do group performance pieces in improv is the Harold. This form certainly has serious upsides, but I wondered, as our art form evolves, just how relevant is the Harold? Michelle Gilliam of Improv Milwaukee summed it up incredibly. I think that there was a time, you know, when it was obviously more relevant. Um, <clears throat> I think that now the our landscape is expanding and it's, it's expanding even more with online, um, which is pretty neat. And I don't think we're beholden to this, this standard that we used to be beholden to as improv nerds. I think that a lot of different styles are being respected and yeah, you don't have to know what that is or, or do it in order to uh, love improv, be passionate about it and, and want to perform it. And, um, yeah, I like I kind of like that it's going away from that because I definitely don't come from a traditional background of improv, you know, started in Milwaukee with just short form and then went to college in Chicago and um, and then uh, moved to Boston a little bit, uh, you know, later on and uh, just all different types and, and focuses. Um, yeah, I don't think we're as bold into it as we were, once were. I got to do an online show where Michelle and I were in a scene together in July and I had an absolute ball. What a performer. I cannot wait to see her performing in real life. In March, I told the story about the pandemic closing down the New York Musical Improv Festival just two hours before it was due to begin. I was out there due to perform with my team from Nottingham in England and to have come all the way from the UK was a blow to say the least. But there was nothing that could be done. We were barely beginning to understand what this pandemic would bring to the world. And as a result, with the bars still open, weirdly, in New York, improvisers got together and did the second best thing they know how to do. 
they drowned their sorrows. And I came across a group from Vancouver in Canada who travelled a similar distance to my group. Here's what it's like to come a long way to do a show and then have it cancelled thanks to a virus. Uh, my name's Isabella. I'm an improviser with Offkey Improv. That one over there, that's not helpful because this is audio, but that one over there is Artie uh, Chandra from Offkey Improv. And then we have Mitch. How do you say your last name? Bull is Chuck. There we go. Uh, and yeah, Isabel Halliday from Off Key from Vancouver. And you had a fundraiser to get you guys here. So how are you feeling? Well, it's been a chaotic day. You know, you wake up, you think you're doing a festival. Instead, there's a minor plague happening, and then you're not doing a festival anymore. Um, it's okay. It's been a lot of talk of both like sorrow, of missing things, of like enthusiasm of trying to pitch in, and of like gentle. Um, law talk, being like, okay, how do we do this? Because we had a fundraiser, and how do we let people know that we're kind of performing in the festival, but kind of not, and we're kind of here, but kind of not, um, and what is the implications of that? Do we let people, um, we have to let people know and give them the chance to take their donations back, because we're not technically performing in the festival, and then how does that affect us? And yeah, yeah. But then also like being like, okay, the folks who are donating to us to get here, we love and trust and they love and trust us, obviously, because they're really participating and helping us out. And so like, will they want to? That question. Like, where is the connection between trust and giving and what does it mean to give? Um, Yeah. And now we're stranded in New York. Maybe. We'll find out. It's fun. How's How's everyone else feeling? So tonight, uh, it, it really made up for the fact that, like, for the, the second half of our whole day, it was, like, kind of a meltdown in finding out that uh, things were canceled. Because at first, like, things were just, we were just getting news, things were shutting down. Because, like, while we're here, we wanted to experience New York. Because we're from Canada, and this is not, like, a thing we get to do all the time. So, like, we want to go to see more Broadway shows. Oh, Broadway's canceled. Oh, we want to go and see, like, these museums. All the museums are closing. It's like, well, at least we have the festival we all, like, were dying for the last six months to go to oh that's now cancelled and so it was like such a heartbreak and we were at least gonna all like meet up with some of the other groups and like just drink our sorrows together uh, and then hearing that uh, uh, the group from Chicago I think First Beat is their name uh, they were uh, uh, the fact that they were like pushing to like get something happening because uh, to me I've done this festival once before and, and it kind of proves that I think improvisers are to me my favorite form of artists uh, because there, there's such a certain level of positive to be a good improviser that can't be faked, that every time we meet other groups, they're always just such incredible, warm, lovely people. And that's what I was most looking forward to. And this proved it tonight that, oh, my God, everybody just wants this to happen. We don't care about money. We don't care about a big stage and a big audience. We just want to, like, meet each other, have a good time, and show each other what we do. Because we're such a niche, niche, niche thing within our own communities. And it was just so fantastic to like get to come together and just kind of triumph over the adversity of like every obstacle that's been put in our way and again proving to me and to everyone else that like improvisers are just like some of the most fun positive and caring people you'll meet in in the arts or anywhere yeah um i think having everything canceled sort of was an interesting thing for me because i realized that i came to new york for two things which number one was like the art and just like how vastly rich the city is in art and like how much that matters to me and like yeah anyway so that was like the first thing and then the second thing was like being able to meet people who do similar things 
um, if I'm correct on this, and you might need to fact check me, I don't know, but I think Off Key is like one of the few, if not only, musical improv groups in Vancouver. Um, so it was really exciting to get to like see other people and because of this um, sort of alternative festival that was thrown together last minute, we were able to meet like really exciting groups and I don't know, I guess that's, that's kind of what it was about for me. So, you know, you get through it, right? <laughs> and so to the improv that has become the most prevalent this year. Online improv. Mara Joy is an incredible improviser from Edinburgh, Scotland, and she sums up our move online and the impact that it's had on improvisers perfectly. And, like, I totally understand that thing of, like, oh, it's, you know, there's, I've seen a lot of people who've said... It's not the same, but it gives me it gives me enough, you know. Or and then I've seen some people who are like, actually, I'm preferring it. I'm I'm really thriving, and I'm like, that's fantastic. And I I love that there are people who are thriving, thriving in this new sort of I say new. Was, that's the other thing. Like online improv has existed for a while, <laughs> uh, but it's it's now properly like because it, before it was just people sort of, hey, this would be a fun thing. Now it's like, well, this is the only thing. Um, and I have uh, since I've since that first couple of weeks, uh, I have been able to watch more shows like in full, uh, and I've been okay better with it. I think part of that is just I think one of the things that's very easy to forget about the fact that we live in, we're living in, through a global pandemic is that it's it's a traumatic event, right? Like. I think people there's a lot of talk about how people are just like oh well, well we'll get used to it we'll um we'll adapt or we'll overcome and that's great but it is a traumatic thing and some people get through trauma in different ways and get over trauma in different ways and for some people that's throwing themselves into projects uh you know, or like finding or sp- finding a specific schedule, or um, you know, adapting their life to fit into this new normal in inverted commas. But for some people, it's just I just want to. Some people just want to take a pause, and I think that I'm definitely one of the people who just wants to take a pause. <laughs> Next year, on the Improv Chronicle podcast. As we ring in a new year, what do you want covered by the Improv Chronicle? It could be a specific aspect of onstage improv, or it could be more to do with the backstage workings, admin or production of shows. Get in touch. Reach out on social media. The handle to follow and message is at Improv Chronicle or email newsdesk at improvchronicle.com. The Improv Chronicle podcast is produced and hosted by me, Lloydy James Lloyd. You can help the podcast right now. Subscribe and rate on your favourite podcast app. Find out more about previous episodes, including transcripts, at our website, improvchronicle.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.